You're listening to the Hard Money Podcast, hosted by the economic activist himself, founder of Rad Diversified, CEO of Tax Auction Investors, and the visionary behind the American Survivalist Project, Dutch Mendenhall. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm here with Ramez Fakori. We're here for the Hard Money Podcast, and we're going to be talking about some really cool things. There's some interesting things going on in the world right now. And Rama, I want to kind of get your take on it, but you know, wealth is changing, money's changing, America's changing. I was listening to uh, Ben Shapiro just just yesterday, and he was talking about a civil war in America, right? And and I think that's just crazy, even to think think of the concept. But you know, where where where's your mindset on where we're at in in, in the U.S. today and stuff? Well, truth be told, um, I've never seen the way money's been moving, and we've been seeing it firsthand here at our company at the IRA Club. There's just been this whole movement and shift over to where or how better yet people were once investing. The whole um, strategy of you know set it and forget it has completely went out the door. And what we have seen here uh, within our company, the IRA Club, are savvy investors understand that there's a lot of things working against them right now. And I've noticed, uh, uh, again, firsthand that the movement of alternative investing has definitely is now here and I think here to stay for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I think alternative investing is is fascinating because there's that can mean a million and one different things, right? Oh, and, of course. and like you and I first met, so Rama's, you know, those of you who don't know, he's, he's you know, extraordinarily successful entrepreneur, um, you know, one of the, the, the leaders of the IRA club and, and, you know, been there since day one. And, and they, they, they build something pretty incredible to help investors use their money and, and keep it protected and things. But so, you know, with us running, you know, rad and the investment, you know, being an alternative investment, we've grown by almost double right in the last, in the last 12 months. And so, yeah, I think you're right when it comes to alternative investments, but money is flowing around in a, in a very, very interesting way way right now what do you what kind of questions what kind of things are you guys seeing with you know your investors i know they ask you questions half the time you can't answer but then there's a whole nother series of questions you can't answer because of the sec and regulations and stuff so and, and you took the words right out of my mouth there's certain you know things that we can and cannot say but because we deal strictly with retirement accounts what we have noticed is a complete shift again in where this pandemic has completely the last 18 months because we all know this 50 million Americans either got furloughed or lost their job. And with that came their retirement accounts, whether it was a 401k IRA, 403b, 457, a TSP, if you were in the military, worked for the government. We noticed right off the bat where back in 2019, there were nine, uh, $9 trillion sitting inside just IRA accounts. That number today has jumped to 14 trillion. That's the kind of movement that's just completely went from what where money has been going or just staying stagnant. A lot of people are just afraid and they don't want their money in the market. Why? Because they feel like there's some sort of correction. You know this better than anybody, Dutch. You can't put $9 trillion into the economy and think for one second that number one, inflation isn't going to go up. Taxes are going to on the rise because Biden has made that very clear. And truth be told, for the first time ever, the Treasury Department and the Biden administration are in full support of each other. And it's because they have no choice. Why am I saying that? Taxes are on the rise. So, um, and he's also made that very clear in 2023 uh, that it's here, that it's here and it's going to be here to stay. So across the board, be wary of that. But the reason why I tell you uh, when we talk about money uh, in, in general, and when specifically retirement accounts, people are afraid. 
they're they're afraid and why are they afraid and again we've seen this here we have we have open and funded 10,000 IRA accounts here um, we've administered thousands and thousands of alternative investments but we've never seen the movement go from um, where people are splitting it up right because IRA club and just to give you a better understanding and a lot of our listeners, just so they, they understand who we are, IRA Club deals with alternative investments. So unlike the Fidelities, Vanguards, and Schwabs that are dealing with traditional forms of investing, IRA Club allows you to diversify outside of that, right? So we're talking about real estate, land syndications, things of that nature. So I mean, the thing people I, don't understand about money, right? The alternative versus traditional investments. And most, when I say traditional, you're thinking market, right? Stock market and stuff, right? Yeah, forgive me. And, Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and, and ETFs. Thank you for that correction. What a lot of people don't understand is, right? They look at, let's say, a stock investment, right? And if you put your money into a stock and you write it out for 20 years, um, you know, you'll you'll go up and down with the fluctuations, and you'll face kind of whatever the market puts you at. Right. And the challenge is, is people trying to build wealth or trying to build retirement and different things. And so you get into a situation where if you're not a master of it, what happens a lot of times is you'll see like last year, right in 2020, when the market hit the major crashes that it hit during during the pandemic, people lose a chunk and then they pull some out. Right. Or they they they, they lose a chunk, they lose a job and they and they pull some out. Now so the market comes back but they don't have as much stock and as much invested in. So they don't come back all the way. And so that, that cycle is, is crazy because it doesn't work the same way. Like with us as an alternative investment where our stock price is frozen in time, right? When it comes to, you know, our, our, our assets and those kind of things. And so our stock doesn't go back and forth and we don't do the yo-yo. It's one of the reasons we decided not to be, be a non-traded. Now I have a theory and I want to run this by you and I want to get your opinion on it. So I believe we're in the times of acceleration. It's an acceleration theory, right? That everything is shortened down to smaller and smaller time frames. And so the stock market going up and down, a pandemic, um, economics, politics. And I believe everything is shortening into smaller and smaller time frames. I think part of that's because of technology. But also when it comes to inflation and those kind of things, what I think you see is, is the zero effect. And a lot of people don't understand the zero effect. So when you go from... 10 to $100, it's not that big of a deal. You go from 100 to $1,000, it's a bigger deal, but it's still not that big a deal. Suddenly you make a 1000 to $10,000 leap, you're like, oh, okay, now there's a chunk of money. But then you go from 10000 to to 100000 you're like, okay, now there's an impact money. But you go from 100000 to a million, right? And those gaps get bigger and bigger, and you go a million to 10, 10 to 100, right? And that 10 to 100 what is always the biggest, the biggest jump, in my opinion. And now you go from, you know, a hundred million to a billion, and now the zeros and the acceleration behind the zeros and the acceleration behind the inflation is so much more astronomical from a scaling standpoint that most people can't even fathom what like the nine trillion mark is because the acceleration behind that is is insanity, right? It's kind of like you talk about Bezos or or, or um, uh, Musk's money, right? And, you know, it could wrap between here and the moon multiple times, they say, right, if you put the dollar bills, you know, lined up side by side, and it's, that's just a billion, right, or two billion or 200 billion. But now you take a leap to a trillion, you're talking about a whole another, another, another atmosphere. category. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that, like acceleration theory and stuff? 
Well, most people don't understand if they look back and I know it's a little bit ways away, but to your point, the market always, got, I'm sorry, the market does always have a correction. It always seems to have a pattern, right? One of the things that I do always like to bring up to a lot of our clients is you can't have the mindset, again, I said, of the set it and forget it for this simple reason. You can't afford to take a, a, a 20 or 30% loss like we did in 2000 and 2008. Or because it doesn't, or more. I'm sorry. Or more. Or, I mean, or, you got or more. You got to your point, it was like, like 40, 50. I mean, if you were in a tech company back in 2000, it was like 80%. I mean, people so, are like Lehman Brothers, 119 years or 109 years or whatever in business. And, you know, I'm storing my money there and it's never going to go anywhere. And I'm like, if that's the thing about the stock market too, if the company goes out of business, it's out of business. Now, granted, you'll get some money back. But once it's out of business, it's got to go into bankruptcy and then it's got to be bought by other companies. And it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. But the, people don't understand the recovery time either, right, Dutch? So think Years about it. it or if, decades. If you lost 20, 30, 40%, it doesn't take days or weeks or months. It takes years to recuperate that, not within alternatives. That's why it's very important to think about diversification. Um, but the thing that you just brought up with the whole Bezos thing and, you know, the billion dollars going around and we're talking about 9 trillion in that acceleration, it wasn't again, not too long ago, the 2008, 2009 great recession. When you guys think of this, the bailout program back then was only 135 billion in 2008, in 2009, I think it was just another 80 billion. So you're talking about 235 billion in total, you're talking about nine trillion dollars. I mean, this is just a staggering number. That's, That's eighteen what times. I'm to get it's at. essentially we're bailing out the economy eighteen times the Great Recession, the Great Depression of of, of two thousand eight. I mean, that's that's mind blowing. And keep in mind, it's not it's 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 not that it's because we had to listen. If we didn't do that, all right, the first quarterly loss was like, I think somewhere around 27 percent. Most people do not understand when they're like, oh my God, I did, I did 15, 20% last year. No, you didn't. You didn't make that. The government bailed you out. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's because they had no choice. It's not a, it's not a U.S. meltdown. This would have been a global meltdown. Let's just keep that in better perspective. Well, yeah, the global dollar depends on the dollar. And that's where I get into more and more. The dollar is not backed by anything, you know, and that's, that's, you know, it's backed by the gold standard for a long time and it's backed by Lots of things, but it's also not backed by anything, right? And and like you study economics over, over time, and usually a non-backed currency lasts about 50 years before it starts to really starts to fall apart, right? And we're right about the 50-year mark, you know, since we, we got rid of the gold standard. And so that's something fascinating. But the world economy depends on the U.S. economy. And and so I think that's that's pretty pretty crazy when, when you start to think about some of those parts of it. Yeah. And when I ask people, a lot of people, Dutch, where do you think America's wealth sits? And it's kind of funny. A lot of people just shrug their shoulders when I speak to them and they, they really have no clue. I mean, one answer that I always get that's always correct is real estate. You're correct. You're right. But the other answer, the second half of that is retirement accounts. $34 trillion sits within retirement accounts. All of America's wealth sits within retirement accounts. It sits within retirement accounts, though, but that, that if it's not active, right? It's going to would have lost 20% this year already. And, Correct. and, you know, Correct. I haven't, I haven't checked the, the inflationary statistics in the last few weeks, but last time I checked it, we had, I believe we had already crossed the 20% mark this year. And that's, that's, that's just mind blowing when, when you start to think about inflation being at that rate. And here to stay, I really believe it's here to stay for a while. 
Yeah, I think I don't think the government bailouts are going to slow down um, anytime soon. Um, I also believe, you know, there's a lot of things in our country that are creating divides. I was hearing something the other day about, you know, purple states, blue, red states, right? And about people moving, you know, to the states of their choice. And, you know, in my lifetime, like, like I know I did American history and I studied the Civil War and <laughs> different things. I never really thought that we'd be di- divided again so vehemently by state by state state politics and stuff. And I find it just fascinating that 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 like I never, you know, your individual state rights are, are have become important again. I, I see it again firsthand here. I, I, I live in Illinois. It's never been so divided. I've never seen it like this. Um, it's it's I think we're living in a little bit of scary times. Truth be told, I don't I don't know which direction we're going to be going in the near future. But it's scary times. But it's it's not going to con- like like we have to live in a continuity of life, right? And so there's there's you know like they're like politicians are going to go to a certain point, but you got to think that they want a continuity of life, continuity of business, continuity of economy, continuity of you know. But I say that, and then you know we were only eighteen months from the entire economy being completely shut down. So. <laughs> It's kind of, and again, you just took the words out of my mouth. Those are the things we strive for. Yeah. I'm just, again, we, to your point, I do agree with you hundred percent. We, the, we are here, not just for ourselves, but our family, right? Our families better yet. So that's the way I look at it. It's like, you're trying to better, not only yourselves, your family, each other, ultimately it's just where has it all gone in the last 18 months that's where i'm trying to get at it just that divide has definitely um and again i see it here more in chicago than ever before i don't know exactly dutch where you live but um i I started flipping i actually flipped my first house my first house ever south side of chicago where oh where what area um 119th and normal was the last house i flipped on the south side of chicago but but all but all before it renovated right before it gentrified and those kind of things when, I mean, there's parts of the South side, obviously I believe that are still pretty rough. Um, but there's also a very gentrified part of the South side too. Um, maybe you can, you can give me more of the, the update on that. I haven't been to Chicago in probably four or five years, but, but the, my last house that I flipped in Chicago would have been 2009 would have been 2009. So 2000. Oh yeah. yeah. Those are, oh wow. That's a ways way. Yeah. A lot has changed since then. Yeah. We would, uh, you know, I, I, it was really great. I found great partners um, that lived in Chicago. And, you know, I lived in California at the time, and, and they could find good deals, and they were very easy to sell um, to investors in, in California. And and the investors did really well with it. And then those people, you know, walked away from the business that I had partnered with. And so that's where, you know, I restarted my real estate, you know, kind of ventures in 2009 um, because the all the flipping and different things we had done previously you know, didn't exist anymore because because the people I did it with didn't want to do it anymore, right? Um, and and so you know, it's you, you go through a lot of real estate cycles during during the deck during what it's now been fifteen years since since I did my first my first flip. So and those deals, I remember those deals because I was in the same boat as you. I mean, it was uh, it was like a kid in a candy store. Oh, I mean, you can't even do real estate were... like that anymore. It doesn't exist. Oh God, I was just, I remember those days. So um, I, I own I own a lot of property. If, if since you are familiar with Chicago and Albany Park uptown, mm-hmm. um, again the 0809010, where like you said, it was just you know, kid in a candy store for the picking. If you problem know what was, you were doing. Problem was, I was in my twenties, so I didn't know enough to hold on to all of it, right? And so. You know, I, I, I held on to some, I let go of some, 
um, not let go in the sense of like lost a foreclosure, but like sold, right? Um, at some pretty good discounts in order to manage cash flow on other other ones and different things. And I mean, I tried to find a balance, but now if I had to do it all over again, I just figured out how to make the cash flow on every single asset oh, I, sure. I owned. I um, but that's kind of our philosophy now. Like we've gotten to a point now with wealth building, right? It all comes down to stacking assets, right? And within your IRAs, it all comes down to how do you build a real retirement account? Well, it's how do you get assets in a retirement account? Because money is one thing, right? And if you get money in a retirement account, that's awesome. But money doesn't grow by itself. Actually, money diminishes when it's alone, right? When it's not invested, when it's not in a, and something that, that bears in, interest and, and gain, gains in value. And so for me, an asset can grow so much more than money can grow by itself. And so it's one of the things I love real estate in the sense, like we're in a year where let's say our average houses we have are probably 70%, you know, leveraged, right? And so we're probably at about 30% equity in, in most of our assets. And on a hundred thousand dollar house, you know, that's 30 grand. Well, in a, in a year where we're at 20% inflation and we're seeing more than 20% jumps in values on a lot of properties, right? You're talking, Absolutely. you're making 20 grand on your 30 grand that you have invested. And so the returns are astronomical when you understand, you know, the power of the asset working for you and, you know, an asset that also produces income that pays for itself, you know? And so that's, that's my concept of real estate. But I also think that, you know, there's a lot of big funds out there buying retail right now, which is kind of mind blowing. And I'm always worried for people that are invested into the the multi-billion dollar funds. Right. And, you know, obviously my goal someday is to build us to a billion dollar, billion dollar fund. And we're closing in on, you know, the, the century mark, the hundred million dollar, right. Mark. But at the same time, like I, I, I hear like a radio ad, like 600 million in undeveloped assets, you know, is one of the radio ads I hear on satellite TV. And I'm like, that's just like a ticking time bomb. And so I, you know, I, I see like, there's one of the, one of the big ones. I'm trying to think of the name black. I think it's maybe it's Blackstone or I just, yeah, Blackstone, Blackstone. I see them buying retail houses left and right and literally making offers on retail houses left and right. And granted they could do well with that. But to me, that's just bad real estate, right? Buying real estate. Maybe that's because I had to cut my teeth just flipping my first house, right? Um, you know, 15 years ago. But to me, that's bad real estate, not buying discounted real estate, not buying income, you know, with high cap rate type type of type of real estate. And so, but when you're dealing with that much money, maybe you have no choice. I don't know. Do you think it's more of the buy and hold, like the same concept within the market, but they're doing it within real estate because they know that there's a huge shortage maybe. And the other thing is- I, I, I do, I do. I, I mean, I think real estate, even buying real retail, I think real estate's a great investment, right? Yeah. At the same time, I always think that when, you, when you're only buying retail, you're opening up to market change. And so, so that's where for us, like we try to, we don't try, we, we only buy it the, the deep discounts and we'll pay more money to bring in a deal, I think than anyone else. But that's like, for me, why I started like paying attention to what's going on in the market. So for us, we started buying farmland and, and, and though we still do our house business every single day, we started really investing into farmland. And because I see supply chain breakdown, I see um, Gates and Bezos buying, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of farm that they're not farming. Right. They're not opening it. it up to the public for so it's creating food shortages in different ways. And I'm not blaming them for creating food shortages. There's lots of reasons there's food shortages. But but it's it's did you ever think in America you hear the word food shortage? Honestly, never. As, as uh, I mean, nobody could see me right now, but I, there's nothing healthy about me. And um, 
I need to lose about 10 or 15 pounds and I love to eat. Um, Dutch, one thing you don't know about me is I actually own four restaurants in the city of Chicago. Wow. Um, obviously hard hit. Uh, most people also don't know this about me. I'm a Psalm. Um, so I'm a wine snob. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I don't discriminate against food as you could see, even though you're well, you got to tell people that. what a Psalm is. Cause I mean, there are people who know, but there's plenty of people who don't too. I, I, I'm a, I'm, let's backtrack. I'm a first tier Psalm. Okay. There's different tiers. So I know enough about wine to enjoy it. Good. Good. So I actually have a brother in Hong Kong, um, brother-in-law in Hong Kong, who's uh, kind of bounced around the world over the last decade, uh, first as a chef and then as uh, managing different, you know, high-end restaurants, and then started opening high-end restaurants for, for a company called Black Sheep um, out, of, out, of, out of Hong Kong. And then now he's just opening his first restaurant. So he uh, just got through renting his space. Um, and he's opening his first restaurant in Hong Kong and he's, he's been in Hong Kong a decade, which always blows my mind. Cause he's a Hispanic kid from California. Right. But, but I mean, he's an incredible, he was an incredible chef and then he got really good at the management side of it. And it used to drive That's me nuts, it. used to drive me That's nuts. Cause I'm an entrepreneur and I'm like, open the restaurant. He's like, I got more to learn. I'm no, I'm open the restaurant. He's like, yep. I got more to learn. <laughs> Dutch. I'm proud of him. How about that? Because he's absolutely right. It's enough numbers game when it comes to restaurants and any of my friends that don't understand the back end of that industry, I look at them and they just want to jump right into it. So I want to say kudos to your brother for taking the time to learn. Um, because if you don't understand it, you get eaten alive. So, um, truth be told, all of my restaurants, one of the first things that I learned actually learned from my father was the most important thing to get rid of. One of the two most important things to get rid of is rent. So go buy the property first, raise the capital to open up the restaurant. And then once I built it, I would sell off a portion of it and typically to a restaurant group. Now, all of a sudden, I own maybe five or 10% of the restaurant, but now I'm the landlord where I'm collecting the rent. And it was just that pattern that I did for 15 years when I would buy a restaurant, I'm so sorry, buy the property, raise the capital, build it, sell it and do it all over again. So that's what actually got me involved in real estate was that concept and something that I learned from my family. That's pretty cool. I'll have to connect him with you. I'm sure there's Please. some some really cool stuff he can ask you and and learn from and stuff. But you know, like I'm a Please. entrepreneur by heart, so for me, like allowing someone else to own my business in any way, shape, or form for the work that I'm putting in, like, kind of goes against my very DNA as a person. <laughs> and 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 granted, you know, I have 50 plus you know team members that that work for our company and stuff. And at the same time, I encourage them to be entrepreneurs, right, in their own thing. I encourage them to like. I think it's one of our biggest identity shifts in the last two years is like, I encourage each person to own their part of the position, right? They're part of the company. They're part of the, the, the goal. And, and like, we work so freaking hard on culture. And I know in restaurant business though, if you don't have a, an amazing culture, it's a disease, you know, in, in, in that business too. One bad apple is all it takes and you got to cut it right away. hundred yeah. percent. It's a, it's the only way. It's the only way. And, and sometimes, you know, people interview great and they sound great. And then when they actually start working, they're not great. So no, no, better yet. They're lazy. Yeah. So that's what I've been finding more and more. It's hard to find good help. So if you have good help, tell your brother, do their his darnest to keep them. So that's my piece of advice for sure. Um, let me ask you this, the lazy concept. I believe when people need help, you got to help them. Like when, like, like, but I also believe that people who continue to need help are, are, there's a form of laziness behind it. And, and this might be judged, you know, some people may judge this, but I also believe like it's the kind of the concept at some point in time, you got to kick your 20 year old kid out of the house. 
you know, because because if you don't. Right. And when we were kids, it was, you know, you got to kick your, you know, 18, 19 year old, you know, out of the house or something. They go to school or they work. Right. And so so for me, it's it's like I look at America, like giving money to the average person. And I'm just kind of like at some point in time, you got to kick kick the kid out of the house. I don't know, what do you what are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh my God, I laugh. You know, if we could use the concept of what you're saying to the self-directed IRA side of it, since it was kind of a great build into the problem and the issue that we face in our industry, right, is because nobody understands it, they won't move forward. Now, our job, to your point, is to educate. And that's one of the things that I do love about hard money and your team is you guys put education first and foremost, very much aligned with what we do here at IRA club. When you try to educate somebody on, let's say a self-directed IRA, there's only so much that I or my team could say or do. It's like, you know, the saying lead a horse to water. I gave you all the knowledge. I can't make you drink it. It's up to you to find the investment opportunity, well, right? And you, Cause you can say to them all day long, here's what a good investment is, right? Here's what good due diligence is. Here's, you know, how you, how you look at a company and here's how you look at an investment, but you can't sit here and say to them as an IRA, you know, you can't say go invest in rad diversify because that would be against the rules. Right. And, right. and so, right. so there's definitely that, that unique, that unique balance, but let's, let's break this down for people, right? What are, you know, if before someone invests in a company, what are, what are, what are three or four things that are must haves that they must know that they must have as a part of their, their due diligence before they, they make any decision. Honestly, when it comes to self-directed IRAs, I might number one rule first and foremost is educate, educate, educate yourself first on the topic. So when I say educate, the reason why you want to do that is you want to minimize risk. So the one piece of advice that I always give to an investor looking to take a portion or all of the retirement funds over here to the IRA club is please, for the love of God, choose an investment you know and understand. Right. If you don't know anything about oil and gas, do not invest in oil and gas. If real estate is your forte and that's what you know, you know what to look for. You know what to ask for. So um, a little bit later on, uh, and if it's OK with you, Dutch, I was going to go ahead and because we pitch um, education for first and foremost, we have a lot of these great tools on our website, iraclub.org. Um, one of them being the investors kit. Yeah. Uh, we, me and you could talk hours and hours about self-directed well, IRAs. Just give them, just give them a good link right now, and then we'll throw it in the description for everybody. That way, that they have the good link, and then we can we can dive more into it towards towards the end of the podcast too. Oh, absolutely. So if you just go to iraclub.org, um, or hence the educational piece of it. Right on top, there's the investors kit. So mm -hmm. what is the IRA Club investors kit? <clears throat> it actually came out to be a blessing in disguise, uh, Dutch. Um, because of the pandemic, it was something that I worked on uh, about three and a half, four years ago. Something that we never had was an educational guide, you know, something to walk them through this whole process. So what I did was actually I created a course curriculum walking through what is a self-directed IRA, what is a Roth, what is a traditional, what is a 401k versus a SEP naming a beneficiary. Most people don't know that you could partner your IRA accounts to make larger purchases, prohibited transactions, things to look for, not look for, red flags, so on, but to the actual process itself. Now, what I love about the investor's kit for the same price of the 195 that it is to purchase it, it costs the same to open up an IRA account here at the IRA club. So I said, let's practice what we preach, right? Education comes first, Let's give them the free IRA account. 
So I thought that that was a great tactic. And a lot of people jumped on board, especially, especially when this pandemic hit, because the way we used to generate and talk and get the word out about self-directed IRAs was we used to attend events, symposiums, workshops, um, you know, conferences all over the country. In fact, Dutch, I think we had 44 live events uh, planned out for 2019 leading into 2020 that just went to zero overnight. So um, the investors kit just landed at the, at the right time. We actually push about 100 to 150 of them a month. It just depends on how many you know, events or webinars that we talk but it's it's been doing phenomenally well and just getting the word out and that's all we want to do is just I think create education education is yeah, really important but I want to I want to dive into this just a little bit because I think I'll give you I'll give you a great example so I have a, a kid that work, works for us I say kid he's 25 right he's worked mm-hmm. for us for years he's a professional anybody younger than me I guess I call a kid but he's he's great 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 guy part part of our company right and he started getting a lot of education on on trading and crypto and all of those kind of things. And he started coming to me and he's like, Dutch, let me, let me trade for the company. Let me, you know, I know we invest as a company. Let me trade for the company. Let me trade for the company. And typically I'll say, well, why don't you go paper trade for, you know, three, three months or, you know, four months and, and let's take a look at the results and, and see what that goes and different things. Right. And got really, you know, a lot of education and training on stuff. And eventually we opened him a $20,000 trading account. Right. And he lost a large portion of, of, of the $20,000. And what, what I, what I came to realize was that like education can also be dangerous. I see this with a lot of real estate investors, right? And it's because a lot of the, the gurus, right? A lot of the, the, the how to kind of people, a lot of them educate in a way where they're going to make people think they can do it, which they, you got to instill confidence or you can never do it. Right. But at the same time, a lot of them are, have holes in in their training and holes in their teaching. And so that can be also dangerous as people educate on a subject, right. In order to, in order before they make the investment into it, because almost sometimes the education can be, make them think they want to go do it themselves or they can do it themselves. Right. And so, you know, when I used to coach college baseball and I would give private lessons to kids and then the parents would want to tell me how to, how their kids should be doing baseball. I would like, be like, let the professionals do what the professionals do. But is it a professional that hits like the checklist? And so for my checklist, a book I always go back to is Richest Man in Babylon. I don't know if you've, you've read it or not, but it is my, you know, when it comes to investing money, it's probably one of my most cornerstone bread and butter books and, and invest people with people with a track record and a history of success, right? Um, and invest, like you said, one of the things in Richest, invest in something you know something about something you have an understanding something you have a history in. and you know you might work in telecom you might work in the restaurant business you might work in other types of industries and if you can find a sideline to that from an investing standpoint it could be you know huge hugely helpful and i also think you know guarantees are good but they're also dangerous if the guarantee is too good to be true it is too good to be true um i used to always say like gold mines i used to hear people talk about gold mines and i'd have people who had invested with us for years and they're like yeah but dutch i got a chance to invest in this gold mine and i hear that you know the guy behind uh, uh berkshire hathaway right uh buffett right i heard yeah, he Buff- just you know bought 500 you know million dollars in gold or 50 billion dollars in gold or whatever he bought last year right the gold mines the gold mines he yeah. invested in the actual gold mine and and so and they're like yeah i think this and, and they're promising me you know a 200 percent return in 24 months and i'm like those kind of things if it sounds too good to be true it is absolutely 
100%, right? It is. Because even, like, I, I know our investments have done incredibly well the last two, 18 months, but I don't, I don't go out and quote, um, you know, we're going to go make this return or we're going to make this return or we're going to give you this guarantee. We have a 5% guarantee, but we don't go and, 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 and quote a 30% guarantee because that's how companies go out of business. And that's how companies, you know, screw up. And so, you know, I think with due diligence, I think there's just a little bit of patience, but you can't not act. And so there's, there's, there's definitely, definitely a balance. But I got that richest man in Babylon when I was, I want to say like 25 or 26. I asked the wealthiest, smartest man I knew. I was like, what are your, what are your go-tos, right? What are your go-to books from, from your history? He's like, well, I've read like 200 psycholo psychology books. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to accomplish that in the next, you know, 90 days. But, but what are your, what are your, what are your best books? And so richest man in Babylon was one of them. What, what, what are they for you? Uh, I'll be honest, who didn't read, um, truth be told, The Rich Man, Poor Man? I mean, I tell anybody who has not read that, make sure you read that. It just gives a great perspective. Um, another great book that I, uh, that I love, it's actually more so geared towards the hospitality industry about how to, and it just, it's, not, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's been a long time. It's been about 10 plus years. God. Um, but it's, it's more so, it, it, the perspective of the book is to basically listen listen around you listen to uh listen to you need to listen before you lead i guess it was the the main focus of the book um one of the other books that i absolutely loved um growing up uh when it came to education god I, my mind i haven't i've been so consumed with work these last four years i haven't i don't remember the last time i actually read besides the washington you know washington post um or or an email thread that's been going on um God, uh, God, I'm sorry, Dutch. My mind just went blank. I'm on this just because I had a guy ask me, one of our acquisitions guys asked me last night about, you know, how do I, you know, keep my mental health healthy, right? He's like, I feel like I get angry all the time. How do you stay, you know, kind of chill and, and mentally? And so I gave him four agreements. So it made me start thinking about, you know, books I've read over the years that that made an impact. That's not, I mean, I do do read some 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 reading in, in, in order to keep my mental health good. But I, meditation it, for me is you know, one of the absolute highest levels of, of keeping the last couple of years family has consumed me. I don't know if you know this, but I have a, a little infant, um, who's now, you know, my second, uh, uh, who just turned seven months uh, a couple of days ago. So it's family has definitely consumed me. Um, <clears throat> IRA clubs, a lot of work. I still travel a lot. Um, um, I still, just to your point, I own a lot of real estate in the city of Chicago. I still have four restaurants. I don't even really have the time to break down a book. Um, and if I do, by the time I hit, you know, hit, hit, put my head on the pillow, I'm, I'm gone within like 30 seconds. So you're in that, you're in that grind, right? I was in that grind at one point and, and, you know, and some people, the grind is the only way, right? It's like the, the way they know to live life. And I also know, like I have four and five year olds. So, so I know that my boys, when they were babies, I know I was in the middle of a pretty intense, intense grind. And when they were first born, I was coaching baseball at uh, the local community college and I was running my real estate investments. And right, it was right. It was, I was only, only about a year into opening my first investment fund um, when my, when my five-year-old was born, he's closing in on six. And and I was just looking at, you know, the education company and the education school that we ran. And I was looking at everything we were doing. And I was like, man, I'm in a pretty intense grind, you know. And and I know what that's like where, like, time just kind of passes. And you didn't even realize time passed. Like, your seven month becomes seven. And it's like, it just flies, flies if, by. 
it, it literally flies by. It, it, it's just a blink. I just feel like not even seven days ago, my little kid was seven, a newborn. So to your point, I just feel like there's not enough hours in a day anymore. I feel like, you know, if you don't, and to your point, if you don't sit back for a second and for your sanity, whether it's working out, doing a hobby that you love. Um, and for me, I really do love educating people on the topic of self-directed IRAs. I just think it's just something gratifying when you go to bed and you just, you know, it's, it's, it's if you sit down and you look at somebody in a group of 50 to 100 people and you see their eyes open up like a deer caught in headlights and you grab their attention and they're just like, oh my God, I did not realize that I could do this. It's, I mean, in the, this, Dutch. in the, in the versions of sexiness, right? When, 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 when you hooked your wife, right? I love educating people on self-directed IRAs. I'm sure I'm a restaurant entrepreneur opening and closing restaurants might've been a little bit more sexy to her than, than, than and, I'm just giving you, I'm just giving you crap. Dutch. There is nothing. When I ask people like who are younger, why, why do you not use this gift given to you by they're, Congress, they're never, you know, established never, back in I, they're never told sorry? about it. They have no idea. They're never told about it. It's, it's like, I mean, but think about it. It's not something we were brought up or raised with. It's not something you sat at the dinner table with mom and dad and said, and dad would be like, Oh my God, I, I found out about this great tool called the invest, you know, you know, that you could use a portion of your retirement account to buy real estate or to invest in a REIT or a syndication or whatever the case may be. It's just not something you were bought up with because to your point, it's just not a sexy way of making money. It's slow motion to a lot of people. I'm going to do a little California jab, right? So, <laughs> because, because I've been a Californian and, and have, have, you know, now, now, you know, I have an Idaho driver's license and have property in, in Idaho and a house in Idaho. And, and so, you know, I'm doing a little California guy. It might be smarter to educate, you know, five to eight year olds on how to put a condom on a banana, then it might be <laughs> to teach them about, you know, investing in, in an IRA and stuff. I don't know what, what your thoughts on that. It might be a California jab. So it, it's, that no, is listen, a part of the sex education in California. It, and it's not, listen to your point. I'm laughing about one it, of my guys in here is like, yeah, that's my kid had to go through that. Yeah. It, it, I, it, up until the here, you want the truth? It's our our product is so cheap. That's this is the real truth, honestly. It's because the self directed IRA, the product itself only costs three hundred dollars per year. When you think of thirty four trillion dollars, fourteen of it sitting in IRAs, only three percent of that is self directed, right? Mm -hmm. Who and why can't we get the word out? And it's simple. It's we don't have the marketing capital the same way the Fidelities, the Vanguards, and Schwabs of the world. Because truth be told, they manage trillions of dollars and they're making billions of dollars. And there's a lot of lobbyists that hide these little minute fees within the statements themselves. Um, and the other issue is is it's just real simple. If you were brainwashed, I don't want to say brainwashed, but if you were brought up, and I like to call it the hurting method, if you were brought up in a way to say that this is the right thing to do, this is what you should be doing, and if my next door neighbor's doing it, and my brother's doing it, and my sister's doing it, and my you know, best friend's doing it, then it must be the right thing to do. When truth be told, it isn't, especially now more than ever, because everything's working against you. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, for kids, it's it's fascinating. Like, my kids will bring me money on a regular basis. And they're like, 
dad, invest this for me, right? They'll be like, dad, that's buy, great. They'll be like, dad, buy me a house. And I've never got into like, because they're four and five, I haven't had deep conversations with them like, hey, well, what dad does is, you know, he buys and sells houses and he invests in farms and he looks at, you know, real estate. I, I've never had those conversations, but over the years, especially during pandemic, working from home, they, they hear everything. They right? hear and see. And I know they've, they've heard me say, oh, well, you know, people give me money and I give them back more money. And so my kids are very, one's a gifts kid. So he, that's just his love language. Right. But they're, they're just fascinating how they, they absorb. And I, and I look at our, our world today and I'm like, well, what are we, what are we teaching kids? Right. And, and, but do kids need, need art and they need science and they need math and they need reading. And there's, there's a wide range of things, but it's, what are the avenues or paths that you are teaching them these different subjects or what are the stories you're told and you're telling them? And, and so it, it's fascinating because, because it, it's impossible to think of the perfect education for a child because no child is the same, right? My one kid is much more artistic and my other one's much more mechanical and, and systematic. And so they're very opposites when it comes to, you know, their learning fascination and stuff. But, you know, the one that's artful might end up being the engineer and the one that's system and mathematical might be in the artist. Who really knows, right? You never know what a Very kid's going to be someday. They're both going to play in the big leagues with baseball, but that's just a fact, so. Well, that's fantastic. And listen, the fact that they're coming up to you, Dad, invest my money. I mean, that kudos to you, seriously. So right. it blows me away um, when they do that, too, because it's kind of like they find money. Like, they always find money. They find money at the park. They find money... It's like I'm, I'm, I'm amazed because I, I mean, I worked a lot as a kid, but not at four and five years old. I didn't have some conscious awareness of money, really. Well, Dutch, growing up, I was, uh, uh, I went to a lot of great schools growing up. So the reason why I'm telling you this is not to the point that you're trying to make about your kids. I was 18 or 19 years old, graduated from University of Chicago, um, had a degree in nutrition, um, had a job offering right out the gate. And the funny thing is, um, and most people don't know this about me, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but my best friend's brother <clears throat> opened up a bar that you may be familiar with here in Chicago that still exists till this day called Spy Bar. Mm -hmm. It's been around forever. So he, when he bought it, he asked me at the age of 19, nobody needs to hear this out loud, but I was 19 years old and I was bartending for my best friend's brother. And every month I would take home $10,000 in cash every month, 19 years old. And I never knew what to do with it. All my family knew was I was working at Rush Memorial Hospital every night, had no idea that I was working at this bar. And one day my father walks up to me and says, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, what's up pops? I heard uh, you let your job go. What have you been doing? And I didn't tell him I was, I didn't want to tell him I was working at a, a nightclub. I told him I was working part-time at a bar and part-time at the hospital. Anyways, long story short, he goes, what did you go to school for? And I, if, if, if you got this degree for what? And I said, I looked at my dad, I go, dad, that's not me. That's not who I am. I did not have the width or the, the span. My personality was, I knew what my niche was. My niche was talking to people, educating, not just educating now, but even back then, I, I just, I love the interaction with people. And then my dad simply looked at me and said, if you don't mind me asking, how much did you make this last year since you're not working at the hospital? Dutch, true story, Nike shoebox, all full of hundreds, opened it up. I threw it on the kitchen table, word for word. I go, I don't know what to do with it. 
I gave him $180,000 all cash. And I said, I don't know what to do with it. Invest it for me. So that is what started me off on my path to real estate was learning from my father and his and my uncles and, and really collectively, my family's very well off in real estate here in the Chicagoland area, but they taught me a lot. To your point, um, look and see is the remedy for me personally. So lead by example uh, and what you're doing with your family and your the people who are listening to your podcast. And those are the things that I'm doing here now at the IRA club. I think uh, that's very, uh, very much aligned and our ethics are very much aligned with each other. And that's one of the reasons why I really do like working with Rad Diversify. Yeah, I mean, I think with kids, I mean, all you can do is is love the hell out of them, right? Yeah. Define pretty pretty clear boundaries, you know, about what you know what's right and wrong and what what's acceptable and not acceptable type of action, and then and then encourage them as much as humanly possible, right? And and so you know, I you know, it, it's the things like you never know whether you're going to screw your kids up or not, but you got to do the absolute best you can by them. And I think if you're doing the absolute best you can, I like I tell myself every day, like I like got to be present with them, got got to take a little extra time. To be present. It's like that mental health thing. Like for me, that's one of my check-ins. So I have check-ins for myself with like my, 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 my life. Right. Um, and, and so it's like, it's like, where, where's my nutrition at? Right. Where's my mental health at? Where's my, am I, have I been present enough with my wife and my, my, am I, am I good on that checklist? I'm really bad with it. I'm like, am I good on my checklist with my kids? Right. Am I good on my checklist with my leaders within my business? It's like, that's just kind of how I, I, I function as a person as a nonstop like domino effect is, is what I call it in the sense that like I have dominoes if, and, and, and like you've seen like the, the amazing like where they do like a four story building and they have all these things with dominoes and it's kind of this cool effect. Right. It's kind of how I live life in the sense that like I have like 30 different rows of dominoes going. And but if, if the dominoes are falling and they're continuing to fall, like it's like momentum and and speed for me, it's, it's, it's just a little it's kind of how my mind works. Absolutely. Completely agreed. I, I, I just, as you said, or better yet, as I said earlier, just not enough hours in a day anymore. You know this, I know this. There's just, as a successful business entrepreneur, but I'll you hit you with, I'll, I'll hit you with the, that's just an excuse. That's just an excuse. Just There's an always excuse. time to work out. There's always time to call the wife. Well, There's it's, it's interesting as, as entrepreneurs, like you run, right? And you have to make decisions about what you're going to run at and what you're not going to run at and what your intentions and your not intentions are going to be. And, and so like, there's always space. And so you've got to create space. And so it's, for example, like for me, I used to hate the culture thing within my company. Right. I used to be like, really, we got to spend the start of a conference of a conference call, giving some affirmations to each other. Like, cause it was very, I was very more black and white, you know, and, 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 and didn't understand like, you know, 90% of the time people leave a job cause they don't like their boss. Right now, the job they take, they say that pay right is is always going to be a final decision. People will rarely take another job unless it pays more. It's very very rare, right? Even if it's a better life situation, but people leave the job because of their boss, right? And so that those those cultural things. But like this last year, culturally, like I'm like we have to have healthcare. We can't compete in the marketplace unless we provide our people with healthcare because without it, I we're just you know, it's just, we're in a COVID world. And, and on top of that, you know, it's, it's a benefit you can give to your people. And, and, you know, for a long time, we didn't provide, cause we're just a small business. We didn't provide healthcare, but then when I actually dove down into it, like the expense of taking care of my people to provide healthcare was far smaller than I had actually ever realized. If you're running a small business right now and, and you don't provide healthcare with your people, just, just dive into it a little bit. you probably realize it's far less of a cost than, 
than than what you think it is. And somebody's like, well, that's you must have better margins than me. But I mean, everything's we excuse what we excuse in the world. Well, for example, I had 113 people at one point work for me within my restaurant group. Um, and yes, to your point, my entire management team, for peace of mind, it made them feel good. It made it more attractive to work for me was to offer um, health insurance. So, uh, but a, you brought up the conversation of time and how do we make time? So how do I run four restaurants, um, manage all my properties, uh, run a company, uh, raise kids, um, become a good husband? I had to give something up. And I gave up something that I love for something else to enjoy family time because mm -hmm. that is very important to me is, my kids, growing up with my kids, having the same schedule as my kids. Remember, IRA Club is a bank. We operate just like a bank. Nine to five, bank closes, you go home. Doesn't mean I don't still sit at the kitchen table or the, you know, watching the football game with my iPad or I, you know, my my PC or laptop or something open where I'm still not working. That's a bad habit that I have to break. But to your point, I had to give something up. So I gave up the restaurants, took the took the money and invested it here at the IRA Club. Okay. Well, that's that's you know a huge step, right? And and it's all, you know, like like you talk about. Um, you ever watch the UFC? Yeah, I do, of course. Yeah, so not you, as much as I used to, but I had a really good friend that used to fight. One of the Andre one of, Oh, okay, I know exactly who he is. Um, and you know, I hear Cormier is one of the announcers, right? Former champion, and he talks lots of times. There's levels, right? There's levels of of business, levels of entrepreneurism, and I think as you go through different levels as an entrepreneur that that step out of the box right work less as an entrepreneur mindset is 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 hard because what got us to being functional as an entrepreneur was was the grind and and but but the grind will eventually kill you and 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 so there's there's like a unique balance with the mindset behind you know I've got to free myself and I got to do the things and and in freeing yourself there's a couple of choices right do you say really small as a company or do you go big you know, because those are two very, very different choices, right? Now, with an IRA, I don't know that you even have a choice besides to expand, right, and continue to grow it, to a certain size because without scale, you can't run an IRA. It's a, it's impossible. You have to be licensed. You have to go through tremendous amount of regulatory. You have to, you know, to, to, to pay employees that can take care of people and to be able to monitor compliance and, and transactions and different things, right? It, it takes a certain scale to even exist. It's kind of like me with a REIT, without hitting certain size, we just couldn't do it, right? You couldn't afford to do it because because it just wouldn't fit into the, the, the scale of, of the business and stuff. And so there's certain parameters, certain, certain, certain space that you create as you go through the levels as an entrepreneur and, and, and stuff. So I'm sure you've, you've seen that, you know, through your restaurant business. Well, not well. The restaurant business, to be honest with you, I I had a, the formula which I gave you was build it and sell it off and take mm -hmm. a percentage and collect the rental income. I was always smart enough to get out of there right away. So the, the very last, believe it or not, um, nobody ever knows how I really got started at the IRA clubs. Um, you ever see the movie with Matt Damon, uh, Goodwill Hunting? Uh huh. One of your one of my favorite movies. Great. Very end, Robert Williams. Robert Williams, uh, Matt Damon gives I love Robert apples. Williams. I'm sorry? I said I love apples. I love apples. The very end of the movie where he drops a note in his mailbox and says, I had to go see about a girl. It was the same thing for me. 
I actually was very familiar with IRA club back when I was 29 years old. It was always about a girl. I dated a girl here who started the company with our president, Dennis Blitz. And about six years ago, Dennis basically gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. As Dennis has been getting older, he's 75 years old. He said, how would you like you and your wife to have a piece of IRA club? And with mm -hmm. a smile and grin, without hesitation, I put up my last wine bar for sale in Ravenswood Manor, sold it on December 16th, 2019, and a month and a half later, I started COVID. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I didn't start COVID. A lot of my friends did, thought I did, but um, no, it was, it was like hitting the lottery, believe it or not. So that was, uh, that was how I got started here at the IRA club. I still traveled with the company with my wife at the time, girlfriend, but I learned a lot about self-directed IRAs. And I was fortunate enough to get started at 29 years old using a portion of my old 401k. And I've actually grown it tenfolds over in the last 10 years. That's freaking awesome. Um, we're, we're ready to wrap. We did, you did great today, by the way. Um, I want you to make sure and just, just give people the links just one more time so they can go, you know, check out the IRA club. They can check out the education and, and, and the different parts of it. But uh, uh, great information today. We're going to cut some incredible clips for people. Um, just appreciate you, man. Appreciate you sharing. Absolutely, Dutch. Um, one of the things, um, I'm not sure if we're recording, but I go ahead and I'll jump in with the link. And again, I think this is a great promotion. Um, it's strictly educational. We want to practice what we preach by giving the free IRA account. All you simply have to do to get the investor's kit for a dollar, again, for only a dollar is just go to the iraclub.org website, click on the investor's link, uh, kit link, forgive me, the investor's kit link. And as you scroll down, you click here to get started. And on the very bottom, after you put all your information in, there's a promo code, type in RAD, R-A-D, all in caps, hit apply. You'll receive the kit for a dollar. Um, again, you'll be assigned what's great about the IRA club Dutch is, and you know, this, um, firsthand is it's a true system of checks and balances. Uh, every single one of your clients gets an IRA club specialist. Every one of our members gets an IRA club specialist. We handhold you through this whole process. We fill out all the forms on your behalf. You don't know something. Give us a call. Again, we're not a call center. You call, you get the receptionist, you get your, uh, IRA club specialist, and let us just help you. That's what we're here to do is to help educate, diversify, open doors and opportunities. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I do appreciate Dutch and his team. They've been fantastic to work with. You know, we'll put it, all of the, that info in the chat too. So you guys can just directly click on links to make it easy for you um, in the descriptions. I will say this, like we've dealt with several like of the behemoth, you know, IRA, you know, self-directed IRA companies where they're managing like 40, 50 plus billion dollars. And what I've always, my biggest challenge is, 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 the delay, like the time lags, the delays, the customer service, people getting answers and stuff. And so when you and I first started talking, we kind of bit down on that. And and I realized, you know, what a priority it is for you guys. And so you guys go ahead and click on the link. Um, it, it, it's great for, you know, 90 plus percent of America. You know, if you don't have a self-directed IRA, it, it's it's mind blowing to me because you have so many ways that you can you can put money in order to build wealth and 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 stack assets. And so it, it's incredibly important. So go ahead, visit the link. Rami, I appreciate it. Um, I don't know if anybody ever calls you Rami, but I just felt like it, you know, had to come out. It's there. all right, bud. Dutch, it's all, all right. right. All right, brother. Thanks, bud, so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hard Money Podcast with Dutch Mendenhall. Don't forget to visit our website, economicactivist.com. 
That's www.economicactivist.com.